0: good morning welcome i 'm so glad that uh, you 're here with us today you have literally millions of options that you could have on your screen right now or your device and you 've made the decision to make this uh, your priority you 've given your time and attention to this and for that I, I say thank you and I, I think you're, you're making an excellent choice uh, my name is Quincy i 'm one of the pastors here at the meeting house at our Oakville community and here I am now at the beginning of another year, um, as we all are, and for the second year in a row, I, I really feel like I have no clue as to what we have in store for us uh, over the next 12 months. Uh, each year has been filled, especially the last two, have been filled with all kinds of challenges and, and things that we couldn't have predicted. Um, but as difficult as things have been over the past while I'm so encouraged, uh, encouraged by a number of the conversations that I've had with people in our community that have uh, so much hope, a genuine hope—not not, not a, a hope that uh, glosses over the hard things that are going on—but uh, a, a true hope it reminds me uh, of the words that Danielle shared with us just a few weeks ago: that everything that can be shaken will be shaken, but that we can stand firm on the fact that Jesus walks with us, especially and most specifically when things are difficult, when things are tough. So that's why I'm, I'm actually really excited to see what God is going to do uh, through us uh, through these next few weeks while we look at Jesus' movements throughout all of Scripture. Um. The next three weeks, it'll be uh, Jimmy and Danielle that will be uh, walking us through this. And uh, good news, I'm excited for this. Maybe you're excited too. Uh, the after party is coming back at the end of this series. So uh, if you have questions, feel free, uh, ask at themeetinghouse.com. You can send your questions from this teaching and the, the next three. We'll be having an after party with myself, Danielle, and Jimmy uh, at the very end on the 30th of, uh, of January. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's been been a while. We've been we've, we've missed you. Um, so I'm uh, sure if, if you go online, like many of us have been online, all kinds have hours, more hours than maybe is what's healthy. Uh, you'll find all of the new things, the new skills that people have picked up over the past uh, uh, during the pandemic. Like people have learned how to to speak new languages. Uh, you'll see these out of control do-it-yourself uh, projects that people have taken on. My wife. Uh was inspired to buy a ukulele. She bought a ukulele and then has actually taught herself how to play just by watching YouTube videos, which I, I think is amazing. Uh me, on the other hand, I discovered that if you uh save your bacon grease after cooking it and then reheat it afterwards, it serves as a delicious topping for your popcorn. I I learned that uh over the past two years. And um, yeah, I don't know. We're, we're not the same. Well, they say opposites attract, I think is what they say. But yeah, uh, that's what I learned. Uh, but on top of that, um, there was also some life-giving things that I've learned, uh, not um, things that are taking away from my life expectancy. And uh, that's going through a very small uh, chunk of scripture found in the Old Testament. It's a group of Psalms that are called uh, the Psalms of Ascent, And they're a collection of 15 psalms that were traditionally sung or believed to be traditionally sung by the Jews as they made their trek wherever they lived all the way to Jerusalem for one of the uh, three festivals or big feasts of the year. They're called Psalms of Ascent because geographically uh, Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine. So, So traveling to Jerusalem always meant going upwards. And if you've done any kind of hiking, uh, you'll know that traveling upwards uh, has some difficult challenges attached to it. The journey for the Jews uh, was often difficult. It was long. It was sometimes even dangerous and treacherous. And these songs, these psalms, served as a reminder of how faithful God had been to his people in the past. And an encouragement of what was waiting for them in the future. It would be true that if God has done it before, then He could do it again. They would be telling and retelling the story of being taken from exile. They'd be telling and retelling the stories of how they had been on the brink of annihilation from other nations and were rescued. And and the big one for the children of Israel, that the story of how God delivered the children of Israel out of slavery, out of Egypt, and into their promised land. And these Psalms are considered uh, pilgrim songs, which is an idea, this idea of pilgrim isn't one that we really think about very much today. When it comes to traveling, we think more along the lines of being a tourist, more than we do about being a pilgrim. And we're comfortable with the idea of tourists, I think, because if we've done any kind of traveling, it's, it's the idea that we're familiar with. And, and we have the opportunity to have every day planned out with all of our activities, the time that we'll do things. We can have everything just scheduled right to the minute. And it can be a very safe and predictable experience. We can get in, we can get out, we can uh, survey the highlights, uh, buy the t-shirt, take the photo, post it to social medias, and then on to the next thing. But to be a pilgrim is something a little different. To be a pilgrim is to toil, is to forge ahead into the unpredictable. It is a commitment to move into the deep where safety isn't a guarantee. We have an idea of where we want to go, we know the direction, but there is little assurance of what we will encounter on the way. And over the the past two years, uh, it's been a gift for me to journey alongside a couple of close friends to go through these short little psalms each week, to be encouraged in difficult times. It's been giving us a chance to to share difficult parts of our lives, Uh, sometimes just laugh of the ridiculousness of some of the situations that we're finding ourselves in. And in other times, uh, an opportunity to share uh, a tear or a uh, uh, grief or lament. It doesn't take very much um, to make a commitment like this just to find one or two, to meet up regularly for a short period of time and to journey together, to pilgrimage together, To walk together. So, as you're listening to this, I'm wondering if there are people that come to your mind of people who who you've had the opportunity to to pilgrimage with over these past, uh, in this past season. The kind of people that encourage you to move forward, closer to becoming the kind of person that's displaying more joy, more love, and more peace. We read off the top a uh, passage from the gospel of John, John chapter one. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. John chapter one, starting in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. John was there uh, baptizing people on a daily. He had just baptized Jesus And he was calling for people to repent. That was his message, repent, repent. And in other words, he's asking people to change their way of thinking. The way of thinking about the world and the way about thinking of themselves in it, of uh, taking themselves out of the center of of the story and putting God there instead, putting others there instead. And Jesus walks by and John says to his followers, look, the lamb of God, and when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following. And I love this. Jesus says, what do you want? And I, I don't know the tone or the, the inflection in his voice, but, but he, he asked them, why are you, why are you following, following me? What is it that you want from me? And they asked the question, teacher, where are you staying? Where do you live? They didn't ask Jesus, can you heal us? Can you save us? Can you take away our sins? Can you make us powerful? They didn't ask, Jesus, can you tell us the rules so we know uh, all of the do's and the don'ts? They ask, where do you live? Which is kind of ironic because I think based on the disciples' track record as we read further on in in the stories is is they're not really good at asking questions. A lot of their questions are are very misguided and, and off the mark. And Jesus' response is is beautiful. He doesn't give them a list of rules or he doesn't give them the method in which they can be saved or be healed. But he answers the question of where he lives. And instead of telling him, giving him uh, GPS coordinates or writing his address down, he says, no, come, come and see. There's an invitation where he says to follow me. See where I live, walk with me. And Jesus, as we read in the gospels, walks everywhere among the crowds across the desert to and from the temple into dinner parties and through and in some of the sketchiest parts of town. He even walks on water. We'll be hearing about that in the weeks to come. And Jesus walks all over the place, but as so often the case, it's not so much about the destination, but what's happening along the way the people that we get to spend time with. And Jesus shows us that there's a value in moving slow. But we don't, um, we don't typically like slow. Uh, we like fast. We like our food fast, our internet fast, our, our travel, our content, our, our uh, everything. Faster is, is better uh, because we want what we want. And we want it now. Even on my way in this morning, I, uh, I, was, I was driving. The roads were pretty much clear, and I was going maybe five kilometers over the limit. And someone was right on my tail, flashing lights. And when I pulled over, I got the uh, the famous one one uh, finger salute to say, "Hey, speed up, buddy." I thought, "Man, it's so early in the morning. What like what's the rush? What's the rush?" Well, wherever we go in life, uh, whether it's school or work or business, even in our church family, sometimes efficiency reigns supreme. Uh, the faster that I can get something done with the minimal effort, the better. That's, that's seen as a win. That's seen as success. And the, the motto of our modern era is that the ends justifies the means, Eugene uh, Peterson uh, wrote a a great book with the most boring title, in my opinion, uh, The Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he touches on this. Uh, He he, he breaks down uh, a number of the Psalms of Ascent that I mentioned earlier. And he says this one aspect of the world that I have been able to identify as harmful to Christians is the assumption that anything worthwhile can be acquired at once. We assume that if something can be done at all, it can be done quickly and efficiently. Our attention spans have been conditioned by 30-second commercials. Well, Brother Eugene wrote that, I think, back in the 1980s, and um, he would be disappointed to know that as of last year, the average attention span of an adult watching a video is about eight seconds long. So if you've hung in to this point... Then kudos to you. You are, uh, by definition, far above average. So uh, so good on you for that. I learned uh, this week that the uh, one of the old credit card slogans was, uh, when they just started going into mass circulation, was uh, the credit card will take the waiting out of wanting. It will take the waiting out of wanting. And I think there for a moment, like what are, the, what are the consequences of us never having to wait for anything that we want? Years ago, uh, there's a, an expression of greeting people uh, that when, when you would see someone or when you were wishing them well on their way. Uh, they would say, Godspeed to you. It was something that was said usually to wish good fortune or uh, a speedy return on the journey that they had, and when I hear God speed, I think of something that goes beyond light speed. Like, like you've got light, light speed, and then you have uh, warp speed, uh, hyperspeed, and then you have God speed. Like it's the ultimate; it's the fastest thing that you can attain. I'm pretty sure there's a there's a DC comic version of the Flash who who, who coins that that title of Godspeed. But what if God's speed is much slower than the speed of light? It's much slower than warp speed. It's much slower than, than hyperspeed. Kasuke Koyoma is a Japanese theologian that describes a three-mile an-hour God. A three miles per hour is the approximate speed of a person walking. And Jesus walks. Jesus moves slow the God that moves at the speed of walking, the God that moves at the speed of relationship, the God that moves at the speed of love. Koyoma says, uh, love has its speed. It's a spiritual speed, and it is a different kind of speed from the technological speed to which we are accustomed. It goes on in the depth of our life, whether we notice or not. At three miles an hour, it is the speed we walk, and therefore the speed the love of God walks. We spend a lot of time at the meeting house talking about putting Jesus at the center of our lives. But is this something that we can do if we're so far ahead of where Jesus is? Is it possible that for us to actually catch up to Jesus, we need to slow ourselves down? Jesus moves slow but for some of us uh, moving fast is actually a means in which we can we can hide from others if we move fast if we stay busy if we stay in motion it makes it difficult for other people to know us because our our lives become a kind of blur to other people which actually serves us to stay somewhat uh, anonymous many times we don't want to be known We don't want people to know us, the real us, because if people knew us, I think some of us are convinced that they wouldn't really like us. Moving slowly can expose who we really are, and we're terrified to be fully known. Yet at the same time, to be fully known is also one of the greatest longings of our hearts, to be fully known, and to be fully accepted. And when we look at the life of Jesus, when, when he walked the earth, he did so in a way that people could know him. He invites people to live with him, to follow him. He didn't travel to far off places during his ministry. His area was, was very small. He almost lived in a kind of fishbowl where he would be uh, easily accessible and people would be able to Uh, critique and criticize uh, any of his works or his words. So it was mentioned earlier in the the quotes package, uh, Paul Sparks, his uh, Prayer of Jabez. Uh, For those those that aren't familiar, the Prayer of Jabez was a a phenomenon that hit uh, many Christian circles a number of years ago. And it was focusing on this small, obscure prayer from the Old Testament that talked about uh, encouraging people to pray this prayer and enlarge your territory and bigger and more and broader. And, and I love what, uh, what Paul Sparks does. He flips that on his head. He says, God, shrink our territory, narrow our boundaries that we might truly be a blessing to all. Jesus wants to be fully known by us. So he moves slow. He's accessible, he's close, he's reachable. So when Jesus says come and see, Jesus is showing us something, he's modeling something to us that is beautiful as well as dangerous. If we're able to walk at the speed of God, at 3 miles per hour, could it be our opportunity to realize how known and loved that we already are by him and how beautiful and liberating it could be to be known by others. And I'm not saying that everything that is slow is good and everything that is fast is bad. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that in a world that is obsessed with speed and efficiency, that slowing down to smell the roses to learn the names and faces of people that live or are around you and allow them to know your name is in a small sense, a way that we can start to see God's kingdom here on earth. Because we tend to have no problem accepting the benefits of efficiency, but often miss the importance of asking the question, what is this gain in time going to cost me in relationship? or in the pieces of my life that matter the most. Dallas uh, Willard was once asked if he could use one word to describe Jesus. One word. And uh, he's uh, an author who's profound in the, the teachings of spiritual disciplines and spiritual practice. And after a long pause uh, on, uh, you know, reflecting on the, the question, he answered with his one word. And it was relaxed. Now that doesn't make sense when I first read that or when I first hear that word. When I think of the constant chaos that would have been surrounding Jesus, his life circumstances were extremely fast-paced. People crowding around him, people pushing in on all sides, demanding from him, taking from him. Pigs running off cliffs, children coming to, to get hugs. Demons whiling out like it was like he had all kinds of things going on around him. So relaxed isn't the word that comes to mind. But, but it doesn't mean a disconnection or a disinterest or a laziness. But a picture of Jesus being unflappable in the chaos, calm and relaxed. Another lifeline for me over the past two years has been a spiritual practice during prayer. And it's actually uh, in my prayer time to close my eyes and imagine Jesus in the same space with me, in the same place with me. And words don't necessarily have to be exchanged, but just being in that place with all of my uh, anxieties and nervousness and impatience and rush to just be in that place with him. And it's fascinating, the more time I spend in that place... I'm struck that there is never any rush in Jesus. There is no anxiety, there is no hurry. When we spend time with him in prayer, we can be certain that he won't be the one that needs to to wrap things up quickly in order to get to the next thing. i heard the expression from uh, Henry now and he uses it often, he says... It seems reckless this encouragement that he gives to people. He says, "I encourage everyone to waste time with Jesus," which seems like uh, such a contradiction, in uh, such a waste of time. But he's right. Jesus is constantly inviting us to see, to come, to walk with him, to see where he lives, to see how he lives to know and to be fully known, not just by Jesus, but by others. To allow his movements to actually move us in return. So I, I wanna wrap things up by, by talking about the people because uh, if, if we end a conversation talking about moving with Jesus and, and we don't talk about how it brings us closer to people, then I think we're missing a significant piece of who Jesus wants us to be. But, but to be truly present with people To know them, we need to slow down. Slowing down is what allows Jesus the time to spend with all kinds of different people. So many encounters will never happen uh, that are recorded in scripture if Jesus is in a rush. Go through through, uh, the story of the accounts of Jesus and, and just look at how many things pop up that are significant and meaningful that would have never happened if he was just too busy. part of the plan, part of the pilgrimage that things that are almost seen as interruptions and in some of the best bits of Jesus' life were because of a slow pace. So I have a number of people in my life whose pace uh, is super, super slow. Like you walk with them and it can actually be really frustrating until you realize that you, you might be the one that's out of step. That I, I may be the one that's worried about many things. So spending time with slow people, things move at a different pace and it can be a, a shock to our system, a shock that makes us frustrated or even sometimes hostile like my friend um, in the car this morning. But could there be something in slowing down for us to learn about ourselves, about people, or even about Jesus? So I want to encourage all of us this week to spend time and move. Move slowly, but move where you live. As much as you're able to move in the place where you live and listen. What do you hear? Who do you hear? And ask God, what he may be trying to say to you in that time, what he may be inviting you into. I want to challenge all of us to intentionally spend time around people that force us to slow down. And Maybe uh, you don't have to look too far. Maybe these people um, that you've been stuck in your house with for the past two years are are the people that (laughs) are making you slow down or are too slow. But I want to encourage you this week, especially to lean in, to engage with them with a new expectation that Jesus could be waiting for you in that stillness, in the slowness. There's constantly and always an invitation coming, coming from him to, to come and see and to follow me. I love these uh, poetic words from the uh, British author and speaker, Adrian Plass. This is a, a rendition of one of his, his poems. It'll be my, my closing prayer for tonight, or for the, this morning, sorry. When I became a Christian, I said, Lord, now fill me in. Tell me what I'll suffer in this world of shame and sin. And he said, your body may be killed and left to rot and stink do you still want to follow me? I said, amen. I think. I think amen. Amen, I think. I think I say amen. I'm not completely sure. Can you just run through that again? You say my body may be killed and left to rot and stink. Well, yeah, that sounds terrific. Lord, I say amen. I think. But Lord, there must be other ways to follow you, I said. I really would prefer to end up dying on my bed. Well, yes, he said. Then you could put up with the sneers and scorn and spit. Do you still want to follow me? I said, amen. A bit. A bit, amen. Amen, a bit. A bit, I say amen. I'm not entirely sure. Can you just run through that again? You say I could put up with sneers and also scorn and spit? Well, yes, I've made my mind up and I say, amen, a bit. Well, I sat back and thought a while and tried a different ploy. Now, Lord, I said, the good book says that Christians live in joy. That's true, he said. You need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. So do you still want to follow me? I said, amen, tomorrow. Tomorrow, Lord, I'll say it then. That's when I'll say amen. Amen. I need to get it clear. Can I just run through that again? You say, I'll need the joy to bear the pain and sorrow. Well, yes, I think I've got it straight and I'll say amen tomorrow. He said, look, I'm not asking you to spend an hour with me, a quick salvation sandwich and a cup of sanctity. The cost is you, not half of you, but every single bit. Now tell me, will you follow me? And I said, amen, I quit. I'm very sorry, Lord, I said, I'd like to follow you, but I don't think religion is a courageous thing to do. He said, forget about religion then and think about my son and tell me if you're brave enough to do the things that he has done. Are you brave enough to see the need and brave enough to go? Are you brave enough to care for those whom no one wants to know? Are you brave enough to say the thing that people hate to hear, to battle through Gethsemane in loneliness and fear? And listen, are you brave enough to stand it at the very end, the moment of betrayal by the kisses of a friend? Are you brave enough to hold your tongue and brave enough to cry? And when nails break your body, are you brave enough to die? Brave enough to take the pain and wear it like a crown and brave enough to love the world and turn it upside down. Are you brave enough to follow me? I'll ask you once again. I said, Oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, Amen. Amen, 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 amen. I said, Oh Lord, I'm frightened. But I also said, Amen.